Hello and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog and podcast, The Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 1,000 comedians over the last 48 years. I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, the wonderful comedian Alex Hilton. Yeah! Hi. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Hello, I'm man. here. I mean, I'm here now. But uh, it's nice to be talking to you. Good man. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to see you, and and, and uh, it's, it's it, thanks so much for doing this. Um, it's going to be an interview about your comedy career, and uh, um, uh, we're going to go right back to the start. And uh, if you can tell me, please, how did you become a comedian in the first place? Um, Kind of uh, not very well is is how I became a comedian. I I started comedy when I was eighteen, um, so sort of nine years ago. Uh, I went went to university and decided I wanted to do it. I, I was really 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 into comedy, much like yourself, Rich. Um, when I was a teenager, I got into comedy. I found it fascinating. Like I got given tickets to go and see uh, Patrick Monaghan. For my oh wow! I, I'd never seen like a like live stand-up before and I, I went and enjoyed it and, and but I didn't really know what stand-up was before I went and I found it fascinating like that, that someone could make a living out of just telling stories and being a bit silly and being a bit daft and I I, I liked the kind of jeopardy and the uncertainty of it and I also quite sort of liked that no one can prove that you're good or bad at comedy I quite like that there's you know it's so um subjective and, and having watched Patrick live and then decided to go to the same comedy club every week and, and see whoever was on and just got super into it. I go with friends, but I take a notebook and I'd write down who I'd seen and what I thought about them. And I'd try and find more clips of online and then watching more comedians. And that was sort of the like mid uh, late noughties. So that was when like comedy was really kind of booming on TV in terms of it was on telly every night, there was something happening. I then decided to do a gig when I was 16 and I didn't tell anyone that I was doing a gig. I was like really embarrassed that I was doing it because I thought people might think, like, oh, he, he thinks he's funny, does he? But I'd consumed so much stand-up for the last two years. I really wanted to have a go. And I signed up for an open mic night that used to run in Stafford, where I grew up. And uh, I didn't tell the promoter that I was 16. I didn't tell the landlord of the pub I was 16. I turned up for the show three hours early because I was so, so keen and I turned up into this like, empty pub and the landlord was like, you know, what are you here for? I said, well, I'm, I'm one of the comedians. <laughs> and the landlord sort of looked at me a bit strange, like, why are you here so early if you travelled from like really far? I was like, no, no, I live like a mile away. Uh, and then he offered me a pint. I didn't realise this, but part of the deal of performing at the open mic night was you got a pint. Yeah. So at 16, I was like, yeah, yeah brilliant. I'll pint at the open mic didn't, and I think because he sort of assumed I was doing comedy, I must be a bit older. I ended up just sitting at the bar and I had like four or five pints of cider. <laughs> uh, must have been must have quite drunk at 16 off four or five pints of cider. They got up on stage and did like five minutes of material about teachers at school and doing <laughs> my GCSEs and everything. And it went okay. Like the gig went fine. I got laughs and people seemed to enjoy it. And I got a couple of pats on the back. Uh, I then immediately had to rush home because I told my mum that I was at a friend's house so I had to like run back <laughs> home didn't tell anybody and I, the next day I text Rob the guy that ran the gig and I said thank you so much for having me I'd love to come back and do it again at, like next month or in the future and write five more minutes and I like, really had the bug 
And then Rob got back and said, are you really 16? I said, yeah. And he went, well, you're barred from the pub for life. Oh, so, mate. Oh, no. Yeah. And, it, and that was the only place near me that did comedy. So I had nowhere to perform because, you know, I couldn't really travel around the country as much as I wanted to. And I had nobody I told that I did comedy. So it was kind of like a secret thing that happened. And then when I went to university at 18, it, it kind of at the back of my mind. So I went to Leicester University. Wow. Because the comedy scene in Leicester was good, and I knew that was a good place to kind of start out doing comedy. And then in my first week at uni, I did three gigs, sort of traveling around. Like I, I went with the intention of doing it as a career and was a not very good comedian whilst I was at university for a few years. Then eventually kind of chipped away and got better. And people started offering to pay me a little bit of money and a little bit more money. And by the time I left, I could kind of do it as a job. That's brilliant. My my uh, blog started as a spreadsheet in Carlisle. I I, I was always one for writing lists, and uh, so I wrote down everything, I, every film I saw, every play I saw, every book I read, and I started uh, doing uh, writing every comedian I ever saw. And the first uh, comedians we ever saw as a family were Les Dawson in 1974. It's on a holiday in Scarborough, and then and then a year later I saw Tommy Cooper, and I got the bug. So I started writing every comedian in every venue I've ever seen, and I had this great long spreadsheet. And I thought, why am I doing this? And then and then I thought, well, hang on a minute, this might make a diary or something like that. And my my friend in Carlisle, who runs her own business, said this is crying out for a blog, and that's how it started, and it just took off. And what's what's wonderful is um, uh, it supports um, new comedians as well as established comedians, and it's wonderful watching them all grow. So when you say you started off just doing a little tiny gig, I'm normally the friend who goes along for the five minutes <laughs> to support yeah. the new comedians because I've got the laugh, and I must ensure this laugh. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but but it's just wonderful to see. And when you said Stafford, um, I went to college in Stoke-on-Trent. My my home city's Carlisle, but I went yeah. to college in Stoke. And we saw Ben Elton and um, uh, saw Julian Clary there. We saw um, uh, Angela Barnes there kicking off. It was it's it's so wonderful watching these new these commit these now established comedians start off. Um, so, so there you are doing your five-minute gigs in pubs. Is that correct? Is that the way you got in eventually after university? Yeah. So, so when I went to, well, I, I decided at sixteen that I enjoyed it so much that I, I, like, I wanted to do comedy like, as a job. Like that, this is it. That's what I want to do. So I just carried on going to watch as much stuff as I could, and I kept reading every everything I could. Um, I read loads of books. I read Frank Skinner's book, which which is amazing, his first autobiography. Yeah. If anybody's thinking about like, doing comedy as a career or has fancied it, I'd, I'd recommend that book. It's, it's just so interesting and so much great advice in it. And it's also just really funny, great yeah. book anyway. Um, but I because I kind of read everything about comedy that was out there, I felt like I when I started, I had quite a working knowledge of how the open mic scene worked that a lot of new comedians necessarily don't have, I think. And it meant that I sort of, it was odd because I was so geeky about comedy. I used to read the comedy forums. So people might not know this listening, watching. 
but there are like online forums and comedy works like any other sort of freelance industry where people post gigs. So I kind of realized when I was 16, I thought all comedians were millionaires. I thought if you were on TV, <laughs> you were a millionaire. I just thought that was what it was. And then I realized on the forums, it's like, oh, you can get a comedian to come to a pub for like 60 quid. And, um, you know, and, and also like people who've been on the forums, like uh, Russell Kane was quite prolific on the forum. Yeah. Uh, he was on TV quite a lot. Then you'd see him in a forum going, oh, I've got a gig in Essex tonight. Has anyone got a PA I can borrow? And you'd be like, what? <laughs> like, I mean, like, you're a proper bloke. Um, you know, and it was kind of enlightening to how, how it works. And it was odd because I was doing the open mic scene. It's wonder- I- wonderful that it's there, isn't it? That, that you've got these things that a communication point that you can go and do all over, all over Britain. If you need a PA in Scotland or whatever, somebody will have one. Yeah, it's just like a network. And I imagine yeah. it's the same for any sort of trade or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was kind of so into it that when I was doing open mics, I sort of knew who people were before I'd, you know, before I'd met them because I'd seen them on the forums or whatever. So I kind of knew it worked. So I, I deliberately went out and did like five-minute spots and 10-minute spots on open mic nights, new act nights, amateur nights. And I was rubbish. I was really bad. I was. Someone should have told me to stop doing comedy because I was pants when I first started. And like, I was just dying on my ass everywhere but I really enjoyed doing it and eventually I kind of cobbled together five ten minutes that worked and then people started inviting me to come back oh you were quite good you should come back next month or whatever so I you know did that um and, and very annoyingly there's a video of me on YouTube from my very first year and I used to try and be quite alternative a little was kind of Paul foot style and I wasn't really good at it and I don't own that video footage. And the person that owns the video will not take it down. Oh, it's got man. like 2,000 views. And it really annoys me because anyone who sort of distantly knows me goes, oh, or, or like meets me now and goes, oh, you're a comedian. They YouTube me. That one comes up top. And they think that's what I'm like. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm all right now. I promise I'm you. Nothing like that. <laughs> but, but, and then eventually you kind of get good at it. And then eventually someone said, um, a guy called Alan Seaman uh, is a really nice guy said, do you want to, and actually it was quite poetic because Alan Seaman opened for Patrick Monaghan on the very first stand-up gig I ever saw. And he asked me and said, do you want to come and do a gig and I'll pay you like 50 pounds to do like a support slot for someone else because new, new app 50 quid. I was like, oh yeah, amazing. And then I, I was like, couldn't believe I'd been paid to do comedy and made a profit on a gig. And even though the profit was like 20 pounds after I paid for my train ticket or whatever. Doesn't matter. I was so excited. That I can't believe I've done it. And I just, it made me so determined then the you know the more you do comedy the better you get at it and eventually you kind of cobble together to a level where people pay you okay money and you can start paying some bills and when i left university i was making just enough to pay my bills and i got an office job that i hated and i'd go into the office every day miserable and it was i didn't like the people who worked there i didn't like what we did it just made me miserable and i would wait until five o'clock and then drive off to go and do a gig in some far-flung place. And I would love, like, have so much fun doing the gig and make a little bit of money and then come home and then be miserable when I get home because I know I've got to go to work the next day. And I just, I looked at how much money I'd made in the previous three months. That, thought, that, is, that is so true for me. Uh, I'm, 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 now in, I'm now in a really good job, but, I, but I, wasn't in a, I wasn't in a good job for a while. And comedy looking forward to comedy or having something that you look forward to got me through it. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's a reason why I go and see a lot because I love the medium 
and it's good to go and to have something to look forward to at the end of the day, especially if good people like yourself run the bill. Um, so within your five minutes, within your first five minutes up to now, really, what, what do you like to talk about? Is it, is it everyday things? Is, is it specific themes? Um, what, uh, how do you work out what you're going to talk about on stage? Oh, mate, all my first ever five minutes was just a mishmash of anything that might work or get a reaction out of an audience. So in my first five minutes, there was um, a, a joke about the Welsh language. Right. There was a bit about um, swallowing and sexual deviance. There was like some prop gags. There was like, it was, there was no style to it or like vibe. It was just, Anything that might work, squeeze in the five minutes. Now, I like to think that uh, I like telling stories. I like a narrative. And I, and I like, I'm trying at the minute to talk more about like issues. Um, so I, I've talked, uh, you know, my last show was quite a lot about social class. Yeah. Uh, and it was about kind of poverty. And um, I was I found that really kind of satisfying to make quite big subjects well, funny in a way, make people enjoy them. Uh, and I've talked about climate change and like child labour. And I find that like really... Um, exciting you know i think that's like a challenge it makes me big and scary and I, I like a naughty laugh i like making people laugh about something they know they shouldn't laugh about and i think that's <laughs> that make, that make, uh, when that happens it makes me really happy that i've done that to an audience and i think it's something people remember i always like to think people think i want people to come to the show and enjoy it and i don't think comedy should be heavy it should be it should be fun that's the, that's the one thing and oh, i hate yeah. it when people say and people do this all the time with comedy oh comedy should be it should be about issues or comedy should challenge or comedy should be silly or what, comedy shouldn't be anything the only thing comedy should be is funny but i was just gonna if, say if you can always think about something the next day and whenever it comes up in the news or whatever they remember oh i remember on saturday when we saw that comedian you know that makes me i like that they get something to take away from it and that's really good too the, the number one thing is to be funny as soon as you walk out on stage and um uh once you've got an audience, you can then talk about anything you like and bring in the comedy into the issues and all the rest of it, whatever you want to talk about. But but um, you need some sort of first line that will just kill it and you're away and you can talk about anything you like. Um, can you tell me more about your writing process for a routine or a show? Do you make notes? Do you practice on your own beforehand how do you get it all into your head what you're going to say um i mean process is uh, a grand old term <laughs> i was going to say if you have one <laughs> there's, there's, no, there's no set way i mean generally at the, at the minute sort of between august and december is when i write yeah. the least so this is for the benefit of the listener this has been was recorded six months ago from when you were hearing it um so I'll, at the time this goes out, I'll be very much in writing mode in the Royal Edinburgh. Yeah. But generally, I've got like a notes app on my phone and anything that occurs to me when I'm wandering around or anything that I kind of observe uh, or whatever will go into the notes app. And then when it comes to like sort of writing time, which is normally January for me before Leicester Comedy Festival, when I'll do like a new show, like a new hour for the first time, and I'll just write loads and then I'll make myself go somewhere because I'm rubbish at writing at home. So like, there's a pub I've got a very good relationship with near me where they let me wander around in their function room and I will talk to myself for hours. I'll have like three pints 
in their function room and talk to myself walking around in a circle like a maniac getting slightly tipsy and then I'll talk to myself talk to myself and I'll write a bit down but it's odd that people call it writing because I would say the amount of my last show love probably which was a rom-com a stand-up rom-com I'd say that written down was about 50 words and the show itself whilst I'd sort of labored over it and I knew exactly how it was going to go I'm rubbish at writing down on a notepad oh this I will say this then this and this and this and this and it's more kind of just stage directions of we'll do this we'll do this we'll do this and then it's more kind of muscle memory and I think the actual jokes themselves I trust myself that I can tell a joke and I can make a story funny or I can make an observation funny. And it's the very minor touches that like, well, I'll do this with my hand at that point, or I will crouch or I'll jog around or, or whatever. And then what that, once that becomes muscle memory, you can just sort of switch into gear and go and everything else is just um, organic and live in the, in the moment. And I, I, that's how I prefer to do it but there are some comics I don't know how they do it and they must be maniacs or I don't know if it's like autism or OCD or something but there are some comics that have the amazing ability to go to a cafe and write stand up on a laptop and that I find that baffling that people can do that because I just do not have the focus or the concentration <laughs> to do that or the memory power to, to kind of work off that and I, I always find you know people sometimes do that and it can be quite over rehearsed I like to be loose and I like to be kind of relaxed and yeah. The fact it's a fascinating answer. Um uh, I've 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 told this story to many, many comedians I've spoken to. Um I once had a go at stand-up comedy and uh, never say never again, but it was in a uh, it, it, it was for a promoter who I knew who was organizing a gong show for old people, which couldn't <laughs> it, it just couldn't be worse. And and um I'd I'd written this script about me being accident prone driving cars in Carlisle um uh, um which I was for a while uh, and um uh, um I I had this script ready and the promoter said right right he said go on go on he said he said you'd be brilliant you've got three minutes and but you could get gunned off and I walked out there's three people in the crowd uh three old fellas and um, uh, the first thing I said to them was, um, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. People think I look like Eddie the Eagle Edwards, the ski jumper, but I can't see the resemblance myself. And of course, when I was at college, I was his double. And as soon as I said this, one old bloke at the back just went, fuck off and jumped me <laughs> And I walked <laughs> on to my own footsteps and I thought, what's happening? What's going on? The promoter said, have another go. There's another show. Have another go did the same thing, similar thing happened. And I thought, never say never again, but my place oh, right. is in the audience. <laughs> yeah. It was it was daunting, but it was, but like you, I enjoyed doing it. It's interesting for you to say you enjoy the process of going on stage, whether it's good or bad. I always say to comedians, it's all about surely experience. I can't imagine you ever having a bad gig but you must do the bad gigs to become the better comedian. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, 100%. And it, it, you've yeah. got... The one thing I say to new, new comedians and new acts is you have to remember that nobody is good at comedy when they start. There are some people who are, who are, who are better than others, but nobody is good at stand-up when they start. And it, people, it, it will take, I think, like minimum three years yeah. to get good at it. 
and you might be okay at it and you might have some good gigs but to be good at it where you can work a room and play a room minimum three years probably realistically more like five or six years yeah 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 and uh you know and i think anyone can do comedy anyone anyone can learn to be a comedian in the same way that anyone can learn to be an electrician it, you know it's a learned skill and some people will take to it quicker than others but it's a learned skill anyone can get to a point where they are okay at comedy um but it, I, I think when you've got to be prepared when you first start that you're going to die on your ass a few times <laughs> and it's it will make you better at being big enough to look at why that happened yeah it's yeah very yeah. comedians love to blame an audience or blame a room or like oh the microphone was doing it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah there's whatever. always something yeah most of the time it is either your fault or in part it was your fault you weren't good enough to handle whatever was presented to you whatever problem it was um i mean i, I had some absolute shockers when i was early doors <laughs> and I, when, when i started i wasn't very good but when i started to improve i because i was quite young and there were a lot of, on the time on the tv there was like russell howard russell kane john richardson a lot mm. of like Matt Richardson, a lot of like young men who wore t-shirts and skinny jeans is people got very excited about me because I was a young man who wore a t-shirt and skinny jeans and people thought, oh, he's kind of, he's cobbling it together. And I got a lot of opportunities given to me before I was ready. And it really, really cost me in the end because I'd, I'd only been doing comedy like 18 months, but mm. I got put on some quite big gigs that I just wasn't good enough to handle. And I died on my ass. And it meant that the people who were there, the promoters and the agents that were there saw me and went, oh, he's, he's not very good. And that cost me for years. There were, there were a lot oh. of people who wouldn't book me because they'd seen me when I was, you know, like not, not ready. And in their heads, I was not ready. And even though it like years had passed and it's only kind of now some of those promoters and clubs are like booking me again and go, oh, okay, yeah, you've, you've learned how to do it. Um, I mean, I, I got booked to do jonglers, if you remember, jonglers um, or people. Used to go it. many a time, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was like a big weekend club. They were nearly always like in nightclubs. They were a national chain. They had them in most of the big cities of England uh, and, and Wales and Scotland. Uh, they, but they were quite often rowdy and they were often promoted to stag do's and hen do's. And I got, I got booked to do a jonglers uh in like just like like late November coming up to Christmas and I got to the green room and it was like just amazing comedians like really really good all of them have been on TV all of them have been doing comedy for like 15 years none of them knew who I was of course they didn't I was like some kid that got booked on this gig and the woman the show manager came into the dressing room and she said oh we've got 18 stag do's in tonight there's a room of about 300 people and nearly wow. all of them are a stag or a Hindu or a birthday party. And it was, I've never seen a gig before since that was as rowdy or, or crazy. Like, mm. it, honestly, it was, it was Birmingham city centre. I think Aston Villa had played Birmingham that day as well. It was a bit like a, there'd been a huge football match and it'd been really controversial. in the pub all day. And the opening act, who was like a TV comedian, dies on his hole like he just he got nothing out of him and then adam bloom was supposed to be headlining for some reason they switched adam into the middle and adam bloom is an amazing comic he's, he's, he's so good live he's just an absolute like pro yeah and the compare brought him on and the audience were baying for blood and he just sort of there was a big stag do on the front row and it was like, like stag stand up 
and he had the stagger dressing down and the room erupted. And then it was the next one, stag, stand up, gave him a dressing down, sit down, you know, office party, office Christmas party, where's the boss, got the boss to stand up. Which was, and the, but it, it was like a gladiator in combat. It was amazing. <laughs> it was an absolute masterclass in how to deal with a rowdy room. And <laughs> the 20 minutes just flew by, standing ovation. And then Adam came off stage, put his coat on, see you later, good night, have a good one. And the compare went, keep that applause going for your next act, Alex Hilton. And I walked out and I honestly, before I got to the microphone, I heard the word cunt shouted at me three times. Oh, oh mate! <laughs> and it was just like, it was, <laughs> I, had, I had like maximum 10 minutes of material that I could use. And I'd so, never been heckled before because new material like new at nights are always like very friendly and cuddly environments. And I'd never even had a single heckle before. I had like one heckle put down that I'd had <laughs> rehearsed that I'd sort of meekly said into the microphone. <laughs> and it got like an okay reaction from the crowd. But then there was, by the time I'd said it, I'd been heckled like 25 times more. And I just tried to do my material that I had and it do you, didn't work. Do you, I think after you, about 90 seconds, I said into the microphone, I think everybody here hates me. And the <laughs> roof came off. So I think everybody here hates me. And it was like, yeah. Let me see you on your stage. side. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, mate. That, 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 I mean, that must be challenging, I think's the word. Because um, do you go on, do you just think, well, I've got to do 10 minutes and you you perform to, you're performing to a wall, really. You can't really see the audience because you don't know what, what they're going to be doing or saying. It must, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I think, I mean, in that scenario, I sort of worked out that the promoter would probably prefer that I got off the stage faster <laughs> than I did like the 10 minutes that I've been booked for. So they, they would prefer me to do as little as possible. So I, I walked <laughs> off. But there's also, you know, it, it doesn't happen very often that you die in your yeah. ass now. Um, you know, I had a rough one a few weeks ago and you kind of just have to settle in and, um, and remind yourself that nearly always isn't going as bad as you think it is in yeah. that moment. If you think a gig isn't going very well, the worst thing you can do is tell an audience because if an audience might be enjoying it, but they're a bit quieter or more subdued or or whatever, or quite often if you're on like a high stage, you can't really hear them very well. So they're having more fun than you think they are. And you might watch a video back or, you know, whatever. And I've had gigs where they've been a bit quiet and then you're walking back to your car and people want to have a photo with you and they go, oh, that was amazing. Amazing, mate. We really enjoyed it. Like, well, why didn't you tell me when I was up there for ages? Um, but you see, so you kind of like have to reassure yourself and be rational. But also, I think the second that you tell an audience, oh, this isn't going very well, you're giving them an option for them to go, yeah, it isn't, mate. Oh, God. <laughs> so, I think, I think, I think that's true. I think, I think obviously the majority of people who pay to see a comedy night are there to see the comedian and are not there to heckle or to hear anybody else. Um, and the, the famous story that comes to mind is the um, Ken Dodd one, where he used to say, he used to describe uh, Freud's theory of laughter, and he would, he would um, describe laughing very elongated, like Freud would say, and then at the end of it, he said, mind you, ladies and gentlemen, Freud never played Glasgow Empire on a Friday night. Because it was in for being a bad venue. <laughs> and you ever heard so the story it, of, it's, 
it's fascinating to listen to you say that. Have you ever heard the story of Saint Genesius? No, carry on. <laughs> so Saint Genesius is the patron saint of stand-up comedians, believe yeah. it or not. He was a real dude. He's the patron saint of actors and comedians and performers. And he lived in ancient Rome. In like, I think I think like the second or third century AD. And he was a street performer and he used to write plays and he used to make fun of Christians. Genesius hated Christians. And all of his shows would make fun of Christians and Christianity and would pay respect to the, the old Roman gods. And he was incredibly popular and, and thousands of people would flock to see him perform on the streets. And the only person in ancient Rome that hated Christians more than Genesius was the emperor himself. And when the emperor heard about this comedian that was making fun of Christians, he booked Genesius to perform a <laughs> private show for the emperor and his friends. And just before Genesius goes on stage to perform for the emperor in this private show, God spoke to Genesius. And Genesius had this dawning moment where he realised that Christianity was the one true way and Jesus was God's son on earth. And he realized that the old roman religion was a myth and he walked out on stage and he greeted the emperor and he declared himself to be a christian and he rejected the old roman gods and the emperor was absolutely furious and he had genesius dragged away and crucified and he was never heard from again and it's a fascinating story wow. and it's the most important thing that comedians take from the the legend of genesius is never do new material at important gigs because if you're doing a corporate gig for the emperor stick to your trial and tested don't try your new jesus stuff wait until a new atmosphere night somewhere that is but, um, that is obviously the most fascinating about genesius is that he's the patron saint of actors comedians and he's also the patron saint of graphic designers and printers because it seems that even in ancient rome comedians had to have some sort of side hustle to keep going you can't just live on the comedian patron saint money you've got to do something <laughs> else as well that is that is obviously folklore that story in the comedy world <laughs> that, that is amazing um <clears throat> when you walk on stage or just before a gig do you do you still get nervous do you ever get nervous and how do you deal with your nerves um I, I, very occasionally yeah if i've got a lot kind of riding on a gig you know like it's there's a, a big promoter there who can put me for a lot of work like i need to do well i, I will kind of i can stress myself out a bit um but i'm you know i always try and think that if i i run like my own gig in leicester and it's my favorite gig to run because you know i know most of the audience they're all regulars and i'm just so chilled and i have a beer and a mess around and i book the acts that come on so i compare have a laugh, and i'm super relaxed and i always do well I always have a nice time and I walk on stage super chilled and I have the most fun and I bring an act on that I think is really funny and it's a favourite thing and whenever I get worried or stressed before a gig I just think well if I was doing my own gig I wouldn't be worried so why should I be worried at somebody yeah. else's gig I know that I can do this and I think telling yourself that um, is you know I have, I have weird superstitions I, I always write I mean I gigged last night and you can see but I always write my set on my hand and I never look at it, but I find that to be quite sort of therapeutic. Quite reassuring um, that it's there. Yeah, I normally mm. have a bottle of beer on stage as well. I don't drink before I go on stage, but I normally like a bottle of beer because I find that it, I, like relaxing. I find that yeah, holding yeah. a bottle of beer in itself yeah. to be, and I think the stance 
when you've got a microphone in one hand and a bottle of beer in the other, I find that makes me quite chilled out. But that's probably just a psychological thing. I, I don't eat before I go on stage because I'll be sick uh, normally because I pace around a lot before I go on stage like a caged lion. And then on stage, I run around a lot. So if I've eaten, I normally get off stage and then I'm sick all the time, like sick immediately. Oh, which God. is weird when you're doing would like... You, you know. Would you say that um, as you walk onto a stage, as soon as you speak into the microphone, the nerves go because you're ready with your set? Is that true to say? Um, yeah, I mean... If, if I'm enjoying it, yeah, yeah, like so there are some audiences where uh, it's easy, and you, you just you, you click into gear. The second you got on stage, in that first five seconds, you're like, "Oh, this is going to be great fun," and you chill out and you can relax and you can play. There are some audiences where it's more like work, and you think, you know, if an audience don't trust you, and then it becomes like, "Okay, I can't let my guard down here. I have to like watch you like a hawk," and then you have to consciously think on stage, "What are they going to like? What shall I talk about next?" Because I might have a plan. This was the set that I was going to do. But if this audience are, you know, they don't like swearing, or they don't want, they want, they don't want me to talk about politics, or they don't want me to talk about this, or you know, or if they if they didn't like a joke early on, I might think, right, well, I'm not going to do those yeah, jokes yeah. later on. Yeah. And you have to constantly think about that. And sometimes you think an audience might not be paying a lot of attention, so you think, right, I've got to be bigger now. I've got to run around and shout and louder and make myself kind of look at me i'm over here you know that kind of thing and it, <laughs> those shows not necessarily nerve-wracking but it, it's work like you're having to consciously kind of focus yeah. on it yeah, and yeah. i think you find out about an audience within sometimes before you've got to the microphone between that's the <laughs> little walk the first day, you know all right it's gonna be like this is it and they're not necessarily bad gigs they're just you know different i guess and it's uh and that's where the skill lies of yeah. doing it loads. So you kind of find I out, want, okay, that's what be. I wanted to ask you more about how you remember your routines. You, you say you've got your set on your hands. Is, is, there, is there any other way? How, how, how do you remember all the material as you, as, as you say it on stage? Does it just come second nature? Yeah, it's, it's muscle mostly. It builds. So it's really rare. That I will write like a five-minute bit straight off the bat. It's normally I'll have like an observation or something like funny that I I think, and I'll go and do that at an open mic night, and I'll play around with it and riff and just say it out loud and see what happens. And then I might have like a minute worth of jokes, and it's really easy to remember a minute worth of jokes. But then the more that I start saying that minute worth of jokes, I will improvise gradually over a period of time. Like, a, like another line that goes on top of it, another line that goes on top of it. And then I might, you know, come up with something live in the moment and just say it on that stage for an audience because it feels good, especially if I'm having fun and it's a nice gig. You think, yeah, I'll try this and see where it goes. And I can normally, when you're in that mode, you can make anything funny. Um, and it kind of builds. And then once you get used to saying it, you don't ever have to sit and learn it or whatever because it just becomes... You know, like okay, we're doing that bit now, and it's no way to how you might tell a story in the pub or over a dinner table. Is you don't consciously think, oh, what do I say next? You just remember the story and you remember how it yeah. goes, and you kind of because everything I say on stage makes me laugh, and I think it's funny. I've got exactly my sense of humour. Is it's very easy to remember because I remember the things that I think are funny, and I don't have to 
worry too much about this exact word I'm going to say or whatever because it just all comes into clicks into gear. I wish I had something <laughs> to tell you. I wish I was like, oh, there's this muscle memory trick and you just do this, but it's just it comes to you naturally, I guess. The the reason why I asked the question is that um, I saw you at the Leicester Comedy Festival in 2022, and we're just I'm just in the process of booking up for the 2023 one. I know this is going to go out May time, something like that, the recording, but comedy festivals in February. And what was particularly impressive about your act was your enthusiasm. And you're, as you say, you're running around on stage and your willingness to make an audience laugh. And when I very kindly met you after the show, you looked absolutely shattered. And I, and I think you'd said to me you'd been working on about three or four shows per day, all different sorts of things, which is amazing and an amazing rate. So I just wanted to say congratulations because I found you exceptionally funny just comparing, and it were and and I'm looking forward very much to seeing your full show very soon, hopefully at, at uh, Leicester. Um, but the enthusiasm was through the roof; it was extraordinary. So well done! Oh, cheers, man! I, I appreciate that. I, I think you've got to um, you got to give it some, haven't you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. I've run at it and. Um, I, I, you know, if, you, if you're tired or you're upset about something, I think an audience can feel that. And you, you really have got to like front it out and put on a show. And I do, you know, like to click into gear and I think be as big as possible and paint people pictures. And yeah, um, I mean, Le- Leicester Festival is like my favourite time of the year. because I, I live in Leicester um, and something I, I do during the festival is I run uh, an organisation called Jokes on Us. So we produce shows at three or four venues throughout the festival it's about 125 shows over the festival and we have uh comedians come to their show all of our shows are pay what you want so audiences can come and see the show and they pay what they feel the show is worth so it's open to everyone so if people haven't got very much money they can still come and see a comedy night and it, it really works but it also means over the three weeks of the festival you know i get on stage like 40 or 50 times to compare and do little bits <laughs> and it, it, I, it, I really really enjoy it like I love every minute of it but it is absolutely exhausting and it's quite often you know we have shows that start at 12 o'clock at lunchtime and then yeah. we'll get off stage at, at midnight in the evening yeah 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 and then you tend to go no, for a no, it, was, and, it, was, you know, it was it was it, it was extraordinarily good to meet you after the show because you were still on a high, even although you were shattered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I think that's the thing. You've got to keep going. Um, let's let's move on to Edinburgh because um, my holiday every year, I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to go to the Edinburgh Fringe every year. And the only two I missed were the two uh, during the pandemic. But I've been going every year since 2005. And I go and see in accordance of about 50 shows in a week and I'm shattered at the end of it I'm absolutely exhausted but it's the best uh, experience and now I've branched out more into going to more fringes like the Leicester Comedy Festival like the Brighton Fringe like the Hastings Fringe etc can you tell me what your first ever Edinburgh Fringe was like uh, uh, what year was it what were you what were you doing there 
Um, I very briefly made an appearance in, uh, oh, what it be? I think it was 2015. Right. It might have been. I'm, 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 when I was in the semi-finals of So You Think You're Funny, a big national comedy competition. Congratulations. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I, I went up and did that, and that was the first time I saw Edinburgh as a festival. And I stayed for like two nights, one night to go do the show, and then one night to go and just see shows and, and be an audience member and see what the fringe was like. And I, I loved it so much. The city is beautiful, and yeah. just the excitement and the bubble of the festival during festival time. I was like, right, I've got to come here next year. Um, so we, I went up with Sarah Keyworth. I'm sure. Oh, brilliant! Aware of Sarah, yeah. So we did we did what's known as a, a two hander, and we split uh, an hour show. Um, and really? I'd had the same girlfriends since I was a child, uh, like all the way through school and stuff like that, and then through university, and then we'd just broken up on the same day that Sarah came out. Um, uh, so we decided to do a show called Chase and Tales because for the first time in our lives, we were both trying to meet women. Uh, and that was <laughs> like the theme of the show. So it was about kind of dating and a bit about sexuality. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a really, really good fun, like hour-long show yeah. split between two of us. And um, we were both kind of writing every day and trying new little bits out. And the show was really, really, really well attended. And the, the best thing about that was, was I did all the marketing for the show. So um, we had like different responsibilities you know but i said i will write the press release and invite reviewers to come and see it and try and get us maybe some interviews to promote the show and because of the subject matter i wrote to um a gay blog okay you know and um we suddenly started getting listed as one of the top 10 gay shows to see at the fringe because there weren't that many shows with uh, LGBTQ acts at the festival that year so suddenly we were on the top 10 gays because people want to see Sarah and uh, I also wrote to a blog similar to this one that reviewed women in comedy and I sent them the press release going Alex Hilton and Sarah Keyworth are doing the show and here are the themes and it'd be great if you could come and you know it, it's at this venue at this time and they'd obviously not read the press release properly because they just put us into the top 10 women to see at the Edinburgh Festival uh, but they included both me and Sarah. And I guess they'd assumed that Alex <laughs> must also be, be a woman. And I, it was weird because I was number five and Sarah was number six. And even though <laughs> Sarah ended up on TV in like a year after that fringe, um, I, was, I was the slightly better woman on the bit of that show. Um, I mean, <laughs> it was being misgendered, which was unfortunate, but it did put a lot of bums on seats. We, we sold out most of the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was quite happy to... Have an audience of very confused feminists come to the show that like to see a female comedian, but um, that was it was a great fun that year. And then I went back the year with uh, kind of a, a, another show, and and just I, I love the festival. I love the opportunity to go and see loads of stuff. I mean, uh, much like you, Rich, I um, I used to keep track of every show I've seen. But on the wall, as you can see, it this is the spare bedroom. But this Ooh, wow. was my pride and joy when I was like nineteen. But that's every ticket I went to and see. So there's tickets on there that I put onto like one big board and kept a hold of. I've wow. got one a hundred times the size of this, but uh, so there's various of all the ones in kind of pink and purple. I'll try and walk it over. That's um, amazing. Yeah. So uh, all the ones in kind of pink and purple are Stafford Theatre, and then there's Wow, yeah. Chris Ramsey there, doing like the orchestra theme, and yeah, uh, was that Rod, Rod Gilbert, uh, Leslie Hunter, and. Uh, various other stuff but you come here you that's can brilliant mate how, how fantastic is that yeah and then there's like maybe some quite recent ones there but then 
So Carl Donnelly, that would I recognise those before. tickets. Yeah, yeah, but that that would have been the day after I was at. Um, so you think you're funny because I went to go and see Carl Donnelly the day afterwards. That was my first fringe, I think. Right, and then there's yeah, like Jack, like Jack D, like ten years ago and stuff like that. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But then also people that I've got on there that since the coach Jimmy Tarbuck's on there. Uh, there's, you know, there's, We've all uh, seen him. He's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> like I've got like a um, a handwritten ticket to Josh Pugh. Oh wow! 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 That's uh, that's fantastic. That's uh, so good. Like, that'll be something that you dig out in a couple of years when Josh is doing arenas or whatever. You go. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, I do a work in progress. Yeah. Um, that's brilliant, mate. I'm so I'm so pleased with that. That's great. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, you do solo shows as well. You went up onto solo shows, did you, at Edinburgh? So, so you did yeah. your half hour with Sarah Keyworth, and then the following year was your first solo show. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so the following year, I did what's known as a coward's hour. So I did forty-five minutes um, because if you do an hour, you're eligible for all the awards and the reviews. And I didn't feel like I was ready to do that, but I wanted the experience of doing the full run. So I did a forty-five minute show right. called "I Came, I Saw, I Complained." Uh, which was basically kind of every joke I'd ever written in one show. Um, and I had really, really, really good fun doing that. I, I loved doing it and got the bug. Went back with a show called Get Rich or Die Crying, which was my first debut show. And it was about sort of chasing my dreams and feeling like I'd, I'd put so much at risk for comedy and I really wanted it to work. Um, uh, and that, that went quite well. Um, at Edinburgh, it was well reviewed and what have you. And then it went to Leicester Comedy Festival and it won Best Show at Leicester, which was, was well the last time I ever did it. Um, and it won Best Show at Leicester and then comedy was cancelled in 2020. It was like the last festival before the pandemic. Um, I then, my current show is called Love Probably. Well, actually, at the time this goes out, that will be my last show. And the show that I'm working on now, which I'll be taking to Edinburgh 23. Uh, the working title at the time we're performing is Alex Hilton Performer. Um, but I'm playing around with a few show titles. But it's going to be, I'm really excited about that show. I, I want it to be, I've realised I've been performing for a third of my life now. Yeah, yeah. And it's the most important thing that I have. But also, I there's nothing, I don't own anything in my life that is older than nine years really i don't have anything that is um i have no relationships other than my parents that i have for, sort of been doing I, I was i've been doing comedy for longer than i was at school and longer than you know, all these other things i've never worked any other job for this long and i kind of want to explore what it's done to me and uh, all the things that i've given up and really, some really nice relationships have cost because of comedy and i've got no money all the time because any money i make from comedy i invest in taking shows to Edinburgh Fringe or that's so good of Fiesta yeah so um it's so so good it, that sounds great yeah, yeah cheers man and th this year will I will cross into my 10th October 23 will be 10 years since I've done comedy which is, is wow is wow wow crazy other, other than my blog the most creative thing I ever did was um uh write a play uh which me and my mate put on for comic relief and uh, originally it was for, uh, I wanted to do it for the Edinburgh Fringe and I'm, I'll probably resurrect it. It's called it's called The Applicant 
And it's basically about me uh, coming down to London from Carlisle, trying to find a job. And I've never had a job interview before. And um, uh, it was basically, I would run on stage, it would monologue, I would look at the audience, I was in the waiting room, and I just started talking to the audience, and then the interview would come on and interview me, and, and the next one would come on, next one would come on. I kept getting rejected for the jobs, and there's a, a, there's a lot of plot to it, but by the end of it, I get given my ideal job, and just as I get given the job, the interviewer kills me, <laughs> so they'll say the last... So the last uh, scene is is the guy at the gates of heaven or hell or whatever, and he's being interviewed by God saying, uh, um, we've been watching you on planet Earth and we think the ideal job for you is the job of an, uh, interview corpses. And I just shake my hands yeah. and the lights go out. So we're busy rehearsing this and I learned, and, and I'm, I, I wrote the thing, ran out the first night, uh, we did it. We did three shows. First time I ran out after 10 weeks, I forgot the uh, monologue and I was just like a rabbit in headlights. And, and I just thought, what am I doing? <laughs> and everybody was looking and everything. Uh, but as soon as my mate came on, he was all the interviewers. We would, it, it was easy to pick it up again. And, and, and like, like talking to you about, um, uh, uh, putting things on at Edinburgh, getting shows on, um, uh, put, um, talking to you about about confidence and nerves and everything. It's all part and parcel of it in the whole analysis of comedy. Yeah, massive. And it's, um, it, you know, Edinburgh is, it's like the trade show for comedians yeah. and performers, but it's also really, really, really fun. And I think, you know, you have to remember when you're there that it is work and, you know, you have, you're have you there for a reason and it's very expensive to go to Edinburgh and you, you need to make your show as good as it can and, and be the best. But it's also the biggest party on earth. And anybody listening or watching that, that's never been to the Fringe, I recommend it to anyone. There is something for everybody there. And it, it's an arts festival, but it's inclusive in many ways. And, you know, whether you just want to see stand-up comedians doing observations or you want to see the wackiest most alternative out there stuff it's there you want to see dance or theater or music there's all this kind of amazing stuff happening i mean i love it i, I mean I, and the, I think the, the greatest example of how comedians view the fringe and i won't i won't name them because it's, it's not my story to tell but i will share it with you where when i first started uh, and I went to the Fringe. I went to go and support a lot of the other kind of new comedians that were going to the Fringe that you make friends with on the circuit year round. You go and see everybody. And there was a really, really, really good act in Birmingham, but he primarily was an actor that had kind of gone into comedy. And he wrote a play and he, last minute, and he invited one of the other acts from the new act scene to be in the play. And the play was about a father and son. And uh, the act that had written it was a really talented actor and he really really cared about the fringe and he was very stressed and very serious but the act that he'd invited to be in the play with him was um basically just saw it as one opportunity to get drunk for a month and the play <laughs> was staged i think at like half 10 at night you know late for a theatre show and quite a serious theatre show about a father and son and it wasn't ever written into the script but the play became, became about an alcoholic father that's what you got from it because Dave, the other act, would just drink all day during the Fringe and enjoy being at a festival. And by the time it, his own play would start, he would be absolutely steaming. So <laughs> it, there was nothing in the play that ever said the father was an alcoholic, but 
it was, <laughs> that's, what, that's what the show ended up being about. But there would be a scene right at the end of the play where the father is sat down in the kitchen and the son, the gay son, would come out and would speak a sort of two-minute monologue. And it'd be a really powerful speech. And the father would sit in the chair, dumbfounded, you know, silent introspection. But the act, the older act that would, would drink all day, in that two minutes of sat down on a chair, would quite often fall asleep. So the final line of the monologue was supposed to be whispered. <laughs> but he would have to shout it to wake him up. <laughs> so this quite poignant moment of coming out acting beautifully we end up with isn't that right dad that is brilliant that is brilliant i, yeah. I uh, in 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 my script i have a, a a very successful girlfriend and of course with me she's in london and with me not coming down from carlisle uh, it hasn't got a job. Uh, that that's 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 the reason why um, I obviously want a job. But is 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 the 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 best thing I wrote was his name because uh, he used to get a load of rejection letters. His name was Norman Oliver Hope, so it would be dear N O Hope, and that would always get a laugh. And I thought, and I thought, this is for Edinburgh. This is for me. Anyway, let's move on. It is it is the most remarkable festival and i'll keep going as long as i can keep moving it's it's, it's just amazing um who are your favorite comedians past and present did you have uh did you watch comedy growing up in stafford yeah, I mean, I, I, as you've seen on the thing i watched i used to watch anything that came to stafford and i go to the fringe and, and see as much stuff as i can i think um there's so many people that um i, I love watching you know i, I really really enjoyed glenn wool um, yeah, I think Glenn was an amazing storyteller. I, I love uh, watching Carl Donnelly. He's brilliant. Uh, I mean, I, 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 Carl Donnelly is someone that uh, I'm always surprised when the show finishes. You know, yeah. I, mean? like, I feel like, oh, was that an hour? Well, that's flown by, you know. And it's like a lovely man just to spend an hour with. He's um, been on here. Oh, he was. He was. He was amazing as a guest on here. He, he's he's such a good comic, and 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 like you say, it's the, it's it's the originality of him as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's so, you know, and he, he, just a great storyteller. And I always think with Carl, it's, um, he would have made a great caveman telling stories around the fire. <laughs> kind of vibe of, like with daily <laughs> anecdotes and little avenues your stories go off on. I think that's, you know, he's lovely. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's so many acts that I, I enjoy watching. I, I like a lot of the American guys. I, I think what Bill Burr is doing is, is incredible. I think, I think, um, you know, he's a much maligned kind of person in terms of people, you know, does he go too far or whatever? But I think Bill, Bill Burr is always the example of people when um, if you're good enough, you can say whatever you want on stage. And I think it's the perfect antidote to the, the kind of the cancel culture crowd that think, oh, well, you can't say anything anymore. Well, Bill Burr shows he can. And actually quite a lot of the times when a comedian gets called out for saying something offensive, it's because it wasn't very funny. And if they, yeah. you know, you can say whatever you want, and he shows that you can say some terrible, horrible things on stage, but an audience will go with you if you are technically brilliant as he is. Um, and I, I, I aspire to that in a way. I think that if you can talk about something and make an audience talk about something difficult, um, but you can be, I think that's a, a real skill that's underrated in many ways. Um, um, you know, and then I mean, Sean Locke was amazing. You know, oh, Sean was. was great. God uh, bless him. Yeah, I, I watch, I'd say, 
about once a month I'll watch like getting caught into a stream of Sean Lock clips online. Uh, I think I, Beck Hill, Beck Hill's so inventive. Yeah, with the drawings. Yeah, I'm so um, jealous of her like organic creative talent. You know, she's doing amazing things. Um, yeah. that's, uh, that's brilliant. My, my, um, I mean, who haven't I seen? I, 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 I was saying uh, from Les Dawson, Tommy Cooper, Ken Dodd, um, two Ronnies in the 70s, uh, through to the alternatives in the 80s, the, the comedy, I used to go to the comedy store all the time. The, f- the first, the first bill I ever saw at the comedy store in something like 1988, something like that. It was um, Phil Jupiter, Linda Smith, Richard Morton, John Maloney. And top of the bill was a comedian called Charles Fleischer, who was very visual, American guy. And he was never heard of again because he went to voice Roger Rabbit in Hollywood. <laughs> so it was like it was extraordinary to see things like that. And and. Um, but um, I mean, French and Saunders, Frank Skinner, Steve Coogan, um, on and on and on. And uh, um, I remember watching um, Peter Kay in, on a bill of five acts in a little tiny club in Manchester. And he was fourth on the bill. And I laughed so hard at him. Uh, I missed the fifth act. And I said to my mate, I said, he's going to be a superstar. And yeah. watching them, again, watching them develop, there's a, there's a there's a funny story a funny story about Harry Hill. I first saw him 30 years ago downstairs at the King's Head, and uh, he um, brushed past me, jumped up onto the stage, and he said, "Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'm really sorry I'm late for the show. I had to have a testicle brought down and paused and got a laugh." And then he said, "From Derby," and when <laughs> and when I met him 30 years later. Uh, he said, oh, Rich, he said, I keep telling that story now. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's, 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 who doesn't like Harry Hill? But there is so many. Um, uh, like me, do you go to a lot of uh, gigs as a member of the audience, either as a comedian or not? You've shown me all your tickets on the wall. No, certainly not as much as I used to. Um, yeah. I will say, it, mostly because I'm normally... Like working myself, so that like most comedy happens on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, which I've sort of yeah. normally got a gig myself. And then if I haven't, if I've got like a Saturday off, um, I will normally do something that's not comedy. Uh, it always feels weird because, um, like I, you know, got my girlfriend. If I get a Saturday night off, she's a civilian; she works nine to five. Um, yeah. So if I get a Saturday night off, we'll go and do something. And I always feel like, should we have a comedy tonight? It's like, do you want to come to work with me? You know, it feels. Um, <laughs> You know, so when I'm in Edinburgh, I, I really enjoy it. I go and see a couple of shows a day if I can and, and see people I don't normally get to see. Uh, during Leicester Festival, I see loads of stuff. And, yeah. you know, if someone comes to town on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I will. Uh, Jack Campbell, who's a very, very funny comedian, uh, runs uh, like a new material night in Leicester once a month and uh, on a Tuesday night. And if I'm available, I'll like pop in and stay hello mm-hmm. and yeah. see who's on. If, and, you know, yeah. If, if you're on a bill of acts would you stay and watch all the acts it, it depends if, if i can i will yeah. like, if i can i will but um you know like last last night was great I, I was like an hour drive from home so stayed and watched the headline acts and you know you chill out and have a beer and it, it's really nice but if if you two and a half hours drive from home and you've opened and you think 
I can get home before they start closing motorways and whatever. You kind of, it has to be a really, really good headline act to keep yeah, it. Yeah. You've got yeah. an hour drive home. And there's a handful of people that I will stay and watch if, uh, if that's the prospect. But generally, you start the practicality of it and you know the late nights and the early mornings and so on you think yeah probably we'll, i'll get, get out of here um yeah yeah you know. the but, reason the reason why i ask those questions is that there's a section in my blog called the ones that got away and i've written about 25 acts uh who have either passed on or i've not had a chance to see and top of the tree for me was Morecambe and wise i would love to have seen them live they're the reason okay. why this blog exists um, but also up there is Dave Allen, Bob Monkhouse. I've never seen um, uh, um, uh, what's he called, Ross Noble. Uh, amazingly, I've never seen him live. I just haven't had the chance. And I hear, I hear he's a he's in, an incredible actor. Yeah, yeah. And there's so many, uh, and of course it's forever evolving. So the blog will be here as long as comedy is, hopefully, and as long as I can keep doing it. Um, I've so much enjoyed chatting to you. You've been a wonderful guest. Um, oh, is, there, is there is there anything else you would like to say before we go? Have you got any? Have you, have you got a podcast? Are you writing books? Have you got a tour coming up? Anything like that? Um, if all goes well, uh, I will be at Edinburgh this year. Edinburgh twenty three. 23, so yeah. I, I, my show may or may not be called Alex Hilton Performer, uh, <laughs> but if you're going to Edinburgh, do come and see me. I think tickets will be on sale when this comes out. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll be somewhere up there. Um, I'm on Twitter as Alex Paris Hilton uh, and Instagram yeah. as well. Uh, and I run a monthly comedy night in Leicester, 45 West. So uh, do, do come to that if you are in the East Midlands. It's a really good night. Well, good, man. I will definitely see you in Leicester in 2023. And I'll definitely see your show in Edinburgh as well. I think I think you're a major comic talent. You've made me laugh so much when I've seen you live. And I just want to thank you for your time today. Thanks oh, so thanks much. All the best Cheers. to you. Nice one. Let's go for a pint in Leicester. Definitely, mate. Thank you so much. <laughs>